you're like me, you probably have a closet full of local band merch. And whether you know it or not, a lot of that band merch is probably made by Divine Shirt Company right here in Winnipeg. Divine Shirt Company has made all of the Great Witch Police merch from our hoodies to our toques to our t-shirts. And if you're looking to get anything done, like screen printing, embroidery, graphic design, digital printing, go to see Divine Shirt Company at divineshirtcompany.ca and tell them which police radio sent you. One of our colleagues, Sam Thompson, who, um, if you saw him, you'd sort of right away assume he was a hippie. Get up off your ass and get up on the podcast! Which police radio? Which police radio? Which police radio? Which police radio? Get up off your ass and get up on the podcast! Which police radio? Welcome to Witch Police Radio. I'm here with a uh, group that that I've definitely known about. I mean, I have one of your tapes that's from like a decade ago. So I know you, I've known that you've existed and I've been sort of tangentially aware of your existence for a while now, but I don't think I've actively kept up on what you've been up to and, and as far as, you know, uh, new music and shows and other related items. So it's kind of cool to have you on the show now and, and, and sort of fill in some of those blanks and also talk about uh, some exciting new things you have coming up. So I think the best way to start this off is if the two of you want to introduce yourselves and introduce the group a bit, and then people can put uh, a name to the voice. Uh, I'm Gage Salnikowski. Nathan, Nathan Cron. Um, we are Savant we are Um We've existed it since 2014, I think. Um, it started off as me and Scott together. We collaborated a whole bunch. Gage joined. Um, we put out that tape that you have. Yeah, I think we weren't on that I'm tape. I'm not right? on that tape. Yeah. No, I'm not on this tape in question. Um, before my time. Yeah, and then, uh, like, I don't want to... I, I, what happened was uh, Scott passed away in 20, oh, wow. uh, 2017. Yeah. Um, 2016. And Scott, of course, was the like harmonic core of that. We were doing um, a lot of like post-minimalism, uh, Philip Glassy kind of stuff. And um, we were faced, I mean, with the loss of Scott, which was heartbreaking. We really wanted to like keep that... Um, tenant of it going, um, the purpose of the group. We wanted to keep on going. We wanted to keep on playing Scott's music, which we did for a very long time. We still incorporate a lot of his music into what we do. Um, we still hope to continue to do that in the future. Um, but we lost like that harmonic center, him being organ, um, us both being string players. Yeah. Um, it was a big challenge to reform that around two what are ostensibly solo voice instruments. Yeah. I mean, you can play double stops. There is a little bit of harmony there, but it is very much solo voice. Yeah, there's so, some difficulty establishing like yeah. pieces, viable pieces using like duophony, like two voices, right? Just to like a violin and cello, it's not, it's, it's yeah. productive, but you know, you, you need more, Even a, more like, content um, to it. In, uh, in classical repertoire, in a uh, romantic repertoire, there's not a lot of composers who have written for um, just violin and cello. It's, right. it's a strange pairing. Um, it's difficult to write for. Um, and we were kind of thrust into that really early on. It took us a long time to develop fully into what has now become... Um, um, I think very much a continuation of what we were doing 10 years ago, but it's uh, it, it feels like something really new, something really fresh. Um, uh, yeah. Well, and I do want to talk about the new, the new fresh stuff, of course, but just, uh, just going back a little bit to the, to the older material, did you have to kind of fully deconstruct that to, to make it work with the, uh, with the current lineup? I mean, that, I imagine you had to completely take those songs apart and, oh, sure. and find a way to make them work with, with the instruments that, that you have. Oh, no, of course. Yeah. And, and very, I mean, not a lot really stuck around from that prior, prior material, a couple staples. A lot of it was, uh, yeah, either re reformatting prior existing material to work in a duo context and uh, trying to come up with, uh, with, with new things in a duo format, which again, is kind of uh, the medium itself is difficult and uh, there's been hits and misses. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the first thing that we did do is reinvent his pieces. Um, 
Yeah, and that was a that was a difficult process, like a good early early task to do that helped us understand how to start writing. Um, revoicing those harmonies in uh, in single voice instruments, and a lot of it was that uh, Philip Glassy da 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 da, which can uh, be approximated, and then there can be a line over top. But it very much quickly became about those two voices interacting together um, cohesively, rather than it being. Um, Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I, I feel like even our earlier pieces weren't just about cello being a, 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 a harmony voice that sits underneath and then the violin that kind of moves along, but it's very much um, two voices working in unison together, or not in unison, but like, a, yeah, no. This is everyone hates this question, and I apologize in advance for asking you. But how do you define what you do? Because I mean, I know I know you've given some references like like the Philip Glass stuff, and I mean, um, it's definitely something experimental you're doing. It's it seems avant garde. Uh, what, what do you call it? I mean, as, as someone who you know, I think a lot of people are going to see those instruments and they're going to think, okay, they have like two or three styles of music that they see they they imagine in their head, which isn't necessarily even remotely what you're what you're up to. I mean, so do you have sort of a shorthand for um, explaining what it is you do to someone who's maybe uninitiated? Well, I mean, the, the, the colloquialism we've come up with is that it's, it's ch chamber punk. Okay, okay. You know? uh, there's a little bit of, like, you know, uh, ostentation, you know, in the, uh, in the, the classic, quote-unquote classical music uh, uh, scene and ideology. And, uh, you know, I, I started playing with uh, Nathan and, uh, and Scott uh, just under the pretense that I, I thought, you know, we should see string, string quartets and bars, mm -hmm. right? People should be playing that kind of... Uh, visceral side of uh of acoustic instruments in a more you know in a more public colloquial context okay so chamber punk uh what else are we fluxus yeah for sure dadaism do you know fluxus or dadaism for the audience we should probably explain yeah please that. do i have a vague understanding but i i'd rather hear it uh you know directly from you because i'm gonna I, if i say what i think it is that's probably way off so i i i wanted i'm interested to there's a broad range of things that that can be. Fluxus, basically, in my understanding, means that there's chance involvement. So John Cage was very much a champion of that early on, along with like Dick Higgins, um, uh, Nam June Pak, um, a few other people like that. Um, Robert Ashley is another name. Um, but uh, there, they're composers who started to integrate chants into their work. Um, and we had started to do that really on. One, er, one of our early pieces together was actually a deck of cards that we had. And each card had a motif, um, some set of direction that went along with it. And we would deal out, um, you know, five cards or so. Um, and then we would play that direction of that card at the same time that the other person. So the way that okay. it arranges is uh, specific to that particular performance, right? But it's also structured improv is, we, we use yeah. rules a lot. Um, so it's somewhere between uh, uh, jazz and uh, what might be considered Calm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's it's not. I mean, it's not the type of thing you're hearing in bars now. Obviously, to go back to that uh, idea of hearing, um, or maybe maybe it is. I mean, but 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 it's uh, bars. That's the, that's the goal, I imagine, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which has been done a handful of times. We've done some bar bar shows. Yeah, and we plan on going back to it for sure. Um, it's only through like with time that that has become. Um, uh, classicized. I don't know if or it's gotten that like reputation of being something for uh, concert halls. Like it used that was popular music for a long time. Sure, at least I understand it. And there's no reason it shouldn't be now. This is our cat Francis. I, I very nice, very nice. Uh, is Francis a contributor to the to the project? In, in spirit, <laughs> in spirit. Yeah, it's a mascot. Um. One little mask. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, she'll God. be the album cover for the next uh, next work. Supermodel, that kitty. <laughs> yeah, she'd be good. Right on, right uh, on. So, I mean, um, just from, from looking at some of the stuff you've been up to online, uh, there's obviously, in some of the performances you do at least, uh, a visual element that there's a lot more going on than just the two instruments on stage. Um, 
was that has that always been a part of the group? Has that always been sort of part of what you do, or is that just uh, on certain occasions and with certain pieces? Well, I think this is kind of more uh, cycling back to this, this aforementioned trying to have uh, some semblance of like a third member or a third voice. Mm. You know, this expansion on essentially what is duophony between two two instruments. It's it's a little bit you know there's uh, they're a little bit limited. With two voices, so I think that's where like bringing these other elements in, i.e., like hmm. deconstructed piano. Uh, I did some trombone, or last last performance. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Um, I, I do wanna. I, our first, like we we had been we've been writing for this whole time. There is hasn't been a time that we've stopped working together. Um, I think things really clicked um, for that last cluster performance. Ashley Au was kind enough to invite us to play that festival. We had this this project um, where we had ripped apart um, a piano that me and Scott had bought together, and we used it for sympathetic resonance. Um, so through um, putting our end pegs into the harp itself, retuned to a natural harmonic scale, it's uh, think of it like an auto-tuned uh, reverb almost. Okay. Um, Right, um, it just pulls out the tones that you are playing. Some other ones too. Uh, we played with it um, in some really interesting ways. But in that way, um, um, the idea was that Scott, his instrument was still even sounding with us and providing that um, harmonic core to our work. Um, so uh, in a way, we were um, inviting uh, that uh, some ephemeral spirit back into the work.
that maybe brings up a question then. I mean, as far as um, the difference between recording and performing live, obviously, I mean, you can do things like what you just described live and have more sound than just what's coming, you know, what, what people are expecting out of the two instruments. But recording, well, I'm not sure whether you do this or not, but you have the opportunity, obviously, to add a lot more to, to what you're playing. Is there, do you see those two as being like fundamentally different things? Or do you prefer to have something live done in the same way that you can perform on record? So that's a good question. Uh, I, I definitely think that in, in a recorded format, there's a lot more room for recording is inherently a different format, right? Sure. And therefore, as an artist, one should be, should be taking advantage of the fact that you can do things in a recorded medium that you can't in a live context. Uh, so I think when we do get around to recording more, we'll definitely be, you know, more, we'll definitely be taking advantage of that medium more often. I mean, like we've done recordings on our own separately, but as for current iteration of Swamp Learner, we haven't had a distinct recording projects. Okay. Uh, I think what we've been focusing on is the aspect of having something performed live. And I think what we do have recorded in our current in our current format is pretty much live recordings. Right? We've taken something we produced live and then that's more of a documentation okay. of this live performance than it is like a standalone piece in itself, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. And well, how much of these pieces, when they're performed live, is, is improvised too? I mean, is there like a decent balance between what's sort of written out and pre-planned, and then what's actually kind of uh, spontaneously being created on stage? Of course, there's a struggle, and you know, we, we were kind of straddling this dichotomy between between composer and uh, improviser, right? How much of this is composed, and how much of this is up to the interpretation of the performer? And uh, I think, yeah, we we've been striving to kind of achieve achieve some sort of balance right things left too much with their own devices uh you end up with you know the, more of a uniformity than anything if everything's left up to a free free form improv uh, no there's a lack of concision and inherent narrative uh but you know for too adherent to structure at the same time uh you lose a little bit of that you know that that spirit a little bit of that uh the, the fun you get yeah. from improvising so i think i feel we're constantly trying to find Consistently trying to find some sort of balance, and uh, I think yeah, I don't. We're also I don't know where it lies, but it's a yeah, piece sorry. dependent. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, I think we're both really lucky too, and I realize that like when I'm when oh, our stuff is still like fully collaborative. Um, if I come to the table with an idea, um, Gage works with it. We both talk with each other, and it's always an ongoing process of uh, composing jamming together, um, playing it, seeing what's worked, doing revisions. And we're really lucky um, as writers that we have each other to work with. I know that Gage is such a phenomenal musician. So uh, um, like Validating. plays 35 instruments, um, it's probably it's more. more. I got more. I got more. Well, um, <laughs> I mean, an adept improviser, right? So like I know that um, a struggle that I've talked to other um, composers, people who've studied comp in university, is working with um, classical musicians who like being told exactly what to do. And when they're confronted with um, choice, it can be overwhelming. Um, well, uh, we engage have developed a really uh, robust and, uh, and uh, clear vernacular for like how we can communicate with each other and the kinds of freedoms we can uh, provide each other and there's a there's a really good push and pull with that um it's it's a treat to to work in this yeah. well, it's interesting you bring that up because even outside of uh, outside of the classical sort of form um i mean i've met tons of people over the years who are incredibly musicians but they can't as soon as you give them something that's not written out for them, they, they don't know what to do. They're, they're just, I mean, even in like a rock band or a punk band or a jazz, funk, whatever you want, whatever style of music, there are people who are phenomenal players until you take the music away. And then it's just, they can't. And then you got people who can barely handle putting three chords together, but they're going to come up with something really cool because that part of it, their brain sort of, um, you know, is programmed to, to be able to handle. Um, and I, I, obviously not a classical musician myself, but I feel like classical seems like one of those genres anyway, where there is a lot of um, kind of dedication to what's on the page, uh, especially for younger people when they start learning and they get sort of into the system of uh, of going through all these levels and then and, and training and everything. It all seems very rigid, which is why it's, it's kind of, um, it's cool to see 
what stuff like what you're doing and what you know a lot of these festivals and things are bringing out is people taking that and sort of flipping it on its head uh that this is a kind of a related question but uh, that wasn't a question that was just me rambling but um where does this fit within the local music community because i mean i don't know if there's anyone else doing something that that is really um that similar to what you do but like you said before i mean you're calling it like chamber punk i mean how you it seems like something that could fit in a punk show or could fit in uh some kind of experimental electronic show or could fit in with with really i mean anything do you sort of have a an idea of where within the local music scene that you belong so do you mind if i take oh yeah. yeah um i uh the way that i want to talk about this is like um even as i've said in the past and in this conversation, I've talked about like classical music as a bit of a monolith. Um, we look at uh, the concert hall and we see um, a lot of the uh, they do wonderful work and their new music festival is great. A lot of it is very uh, regurgitative um, just by the nature of being a bigger orchestra. It has to be that way. We are engaging in a very uh, rich culture. There's a lot of this music happening. Um, comp schools are moving in this direction. Um, there's a huge scene everywhere. Um, Winnipeg is actually a great scene for this. Cool. Um, we have Cluster Festival, um, Ashley Au doing wonderful work there. We have um, Cam Scott who does Send and Receive, brings in so many great artists. Um, Groundswell does this kind of work. Um, fantastic. The New Music Festival has also championed this for years. Um, Greg Hannock as well with um, a, a Graffiti Gallery. There is um, a scene that exists. There's a lot of people who are doing this. Um, I There's still... A, what bothers me about Winnipeg is that there's so much of this happening and it's still so separate. Like I think that there should be punk scenes with avant-garde music. We're still siloed, even though there's so many of us. It's like, I don't, getting into the bars, getting a, I, I'm so shocked. What, Jen Thiessen is another person who's doing great work like this. Oh, yeah. She told me this story about her father. I don't know if I, <laughs> I'll, I, I hope I tell this properly. I, haven't asked for permission to tell the story. I hope it's okay. <laughs> um, she told me about her father who doesn't really like new music, um, doesn't, isn't a big fan of music as I remember it properly. And when he saw her doing more avant-garde stuff, he didn't have a frame of reference for it. Um, it wasn't something that he had experienced for, so he could just experience it purely for the sound. He didn't have a lot of those connotations, those uh, yeah. pretenses. Um, so he came at it and he really loved it. And I think that if people, we are one of the main tenets of savant flaneur is to still sound good, to be approachable, to not, we're not, sometimes we'll do some, some, uh, can I curse on this? Whatever you want. We'll do some fuckery, you know, like we'll really, <laughs> um, we'll have some fun, we'll push some boundaries pretty far, um, sonically, um, not like we're doing shock content, but the main intent is to have music that is good, that is approachable, that you feel in a space that you can listen to. And if you're into electronic music, if you're into punk music, if you're into metal, if you're even into pop music that's a little bit weirder, you're going to find things in what we do that you can like and relate to. This isn't, it, it's not, we're not, um, <laughs> um, like genius is doing things that are so outside of the world of whatever. We're just making music for people, like nobody yeah. else, like anybody. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good answer. I think.
I'm assuming if you, if you knew the answer to this question I'm about to ask you, you would have done, done it already. But how, how do you kind of bridge that gap and get people to, to, to want to check out what you're doing or, or get punk bands to, to, to invite a, a group like yours to take part in a show? Like, what's the... Because I think you're right. A lot of genres in Winnipeg are very siloed off and it's, it's, it's hard to to see sort of how to make them uh, just like meld together into one big thing because everyone, everyone these days listens to music in such a weird way that it almost seems like that's like a detriment to, to the way um, the music scene has grown in that people are so used to siloing themselves off into their own little playlists and stuff that, you know, the idea of something unexpected happening at a show is almost like, it's scary. <laughs> it's weird and scary to them. So is there a, like, what, what, what steps does Winnipeg need to take to, to make that happen? It's tough. I mean, I, uh, for one, I think in as either music or writing or audience, not that I want to put the onus on any particular listener, but I think, uh, maybe one aspect is embracing universalities, right? And I think in what, what we're, what we're doing, uh, I'd like to think, you know, there's some moments of, uh, where stuff's entirely outside, you know, or, or foreign or not using traditional harmony, but still hopefully not alienating. And sure. I think a big part of that comes from latching onto universalities. Uh, what's like a universal aspect of music, something that's far encompassing. Is it, you know, uh, a heaviness, you know, as a, as a descriptor, right? That, that, that's so broad across so many other mediums and genres, or is something danceable. That's such a vague uh, universal, quality that's you know it comes across in a variety of genres and i feel like we try to have moments like that in our music and then insofar as a, a listener perspective i i don't know what are steps winnipeg can take to be more uh more open to to other genres uh i think part of it is both us for some yeah. shows <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. I think exposure will do a lot. Um, thanks for having us on the podcast, of course. Um, yeah, I like, like, like uh, uh, um, uh, the the father that I talked about, uh, Jen Tyson's dad. Sorry, um, Jen. You just uh, gotta you gotta see it. Um, yeah. I think once you uh, once you encounter it, um, yeah, it'll, it'll make sense. Well, you have um, something coming up that we haven't even talked about yet, and maybe that's a, a that's a good segue. There is that you know people should just go out and check this out and see what's what other people are doing with different sounds. So, well, what do you have happening? It's a it's an it's an installation, right? Yeah, it's somewhat based around uh, uh, a performance we did on a uh, send and receive. Basically, this is just fulfilling grant requirements. This, to be completely <laughs> honest, uh, no. Uh, so the other month uh, for Send and Receive Festival, we did uh, we were collaborating with uh, an architect, uh, uh, this long-term collaboration with an architect, uh, Joe Kaczerniak, who's previously done, uh, he's done stuff for uh, Raw Almond okay. uh, on the river there. He's done some of the architecture for that. Uh, and I think, well, Nathan had met him by chance. I guess yeah. this is kind of a longish story. We, uh, we met and I... I've been very interested in acoustic sound. Um, it's something that um, I really wanted to push for in our earlier projects. Um, we are experimenting with electronics a whole bunch um, now and moving forward. But early on, I really wanted to, especially with the invention of that um, harp, I thought it would be so easy if we started to use electronics to lose the the beauty of that natural reverb, it had to shine on its own if it was going to shine at all. And we couldn't drench it in reverb, we couldn't drench it in effects. It had to stand on its own. So I met Joe and I was thinking and talking a lot about acoustic sound, reverberance, sympathetic resonance. And, uh, and he had been thinking a lot about uh, resonance in space. So as we started talking, we dreamt up all of these different ways that we could play with acoustic sound, um, um, us through instruments. Um, so our send and receive, another thing that we did along with the sympathetic harp was we had a bunch of, uh, do you want to explain what a spring red? Yeah, yeah. so, uh, okay. So in, in so far as this whole send and receive project, Nathan met Joe. Uh, we were working on stuff using sound and acoustic space and resonance as at Joe. Uh, we had a cl collaborative project where we were making a piece of music amidst, uh, amidst uh, sound sculptures that Joe's been making. Uh, essentially, uh, 
things that might like reflect or diffract or diffuse sound coming in uh, to influence like how the observer experiences a single sound source. Uh, and that, that's been kind of paired with this uh, deconstructed piano that we've done uh, along with that uh, use of uh, effectively large scale thunder drums. So a thunder drum is essentially, I, I can't, maybe it's Cuban. I can't quite remember. Uh, it's a it's a long cylindrical kind of small like a small long tom drum okay. essentially only a top head uh, attached to the underside of the top head is a long spring that dangles down. Uh, when you shake the drum, the spring vibrates and uh, it sounds like thunder. Right, it resonates the drum head. It resonates within the cavity of the drum. Sounds sounds like thunder. Uh, so. Uh, We've kind of taken that uh, this idea of a thunder, and we're not the first people who have done this. I think uh, I think Nathan Nathan saw somebody do this particular thing on a TikTok yeah. at a smaller scale, and yeah. we've kind of uh, uh, scaled it up a little bit. Uh, so it just so happens a, a spring translates resonance, right? There's a you take a tin can on a string, right? Yeah. Somebody gets one end of the can, you get the other can. You can you know you feel the vibration traveling on the wire translates to sound. Uh, so the same thing happens with the spring. That's essentially what a spring reverb is, right? In a guitar amp, sure, uh, it sends you know a vibration through that spring. The spring travels. That sound reflects back across ends of the spring, and it, it creates a reverberance, right? Uh, so it just so happens if you take a thunder drum and the spring on a thunder drum, it's kind of like an amalgam of those two ideas. Uh, you can take the spring, say, hook it up to the end of a to a cello bridge, okay, or hook it up to uh, you know, a violin bridge, hook it up to anything that vibrates, and the spring itself translates the source of a cello bowing a note to the strum at the other end of a room. Uh, and what's really cool about this effect is that the, uh, the, the spring modulates it. So it's not just a pure signal, it's corrupted by this, by this spring. Oh, cool. So it's something like really fucked up when it comes out at the end of the drum. Uh, and we have this nice kind of translation of resonance uh, where that drum points, the audience gets to kind of influence their own perspective uh, as to how they hear that sound. Uh, and that was the, I hope that makes sense. It does. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we were strung up with all these uh, thunder drums on our uh, cello bridges amidst these sculptures that Joe had made to either reflect or diffuse the sound that we've created at specific points of the audience or maybe some reflect something at a specific frequency in an ideal context. Uh, so I guess maybe... We, well, I'll talk about the, the send and receive performance. We had Joe's sculptures up, some of them. There will be some different ones that are up at the installation. But we had them up, and it was very much a seated audience. So we were putting this forward. And what's interesting about these sculptures is how they affect um, that sound in space. And if you're sitting in a particular space, you don't get to experience the difference, right? You need to be able to understand how sound is yeah, different in one spot around. of the room to be important. Um, so we did our performance, which showcased the, the, the comp that we did for this, um, which, I mean, working with these instruments posed a lot of really inter interesting compositional uh, problems, um, opportunities. Um, for example, um, the, the harp resonating, um, any input sound is naturally a lot quieter than the output sound. Um, so while you hear it, it can so easily get lost in a wash. Um, it's very delicate. It mandates a style of writing that is, uh, uh, silence is a fundamental structure of it. I know that this is a very old idea. It was the first time that um, uh, at least I uh, had thought about it so packed, uh, uh, like I, it was forced upon me. I sure. didn't have a choice but to interact with that in such a real way. So either way, I'm getting off topic with that. Um, uh, let's to talk about the comp. The installation is the sister part of the performance um, that will have um, the architecture up. It will have... Um, uh, a, a reimagined uh, version of our performance from the send and receive show piping through it and into it um, using transducers. So the sound is going to be coming from the sculptures um, within the sculpture um, yeah. pointed at, and then you can really navigate that space and it'll be a long loop. So you can go from one spot of that room and hear things in a very 
um, uh, absorptive space where yeah. it you it's it's almost like a, a anechoic chamber where you hear our Kong interact with this very dead space in mm -hmm. another space where it's very bright and everything shoots back at it so uh, it will affect the mood it'll affect the feeling it'll be a great opportunity for you to really um, think about sound as it exists in space yeah. unlike uh, yeah. yeah unlike the center received performance this will be a, an opportunity for a self-curated experience cool so instead of us performing at somebody what you get to do is you walk into the room and you're walking around the stage you walk amongst these sculptures and you get to curate how you experience uh the difference in sound depending on what part of the room you're in or what sculpture you enter there'll be some sort of like domicile style uh well things that you can enter these womb not in womb like i'm trying to think of appropriate descriptors for anyways you can edit this to make us more concise right no 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 we'll, we'll, we'll leave the rambling the rambling is the yeah. rambling is the best part of the show um but no I, I so people can since you said it's looping people can basically experience it from all these different ways the entire thing if they want to from start to finish in one spot and then move to another part of the room and and then get it that way and, and compare and contrast if you want to, I guess, right? And loop is used in a fairly like a, a, a generous way. Um, while we haven't finished all of the writing, I think in the ideal conception, it's, it's also a piece of modular music where everything is looped, but everything is contrasted against other things. So that time span is very long. Okay. Um, I, yeah. I don't think rather that you would stay there and actually hear the same thing twice, at least in the same context, it will very much be, um, you can go there and experience it for um, a, a short amount of time, a very long amount of time, and continually find a, something new in it. Okay, okay. And so I know that uh, when we started talking here, you'd mentioned that uh, there's this hasn't been fully established what what the date uh, of this is going to be but it's gonna be it's gonna be going for a while uh the installation where can people find out more information about this i mean the good thing about this being a podcast is someone could hear it the day it comes out or they could hear it you know uh weeks later or whenever uh what's the best way to find out about uh what's oh, happening here? On social media you know yeah. um uh, like us um uh, comment on the videos um someone <laughs> um, flaneur on instagram I'll also send and receive i mean they're going to be updating about this it'll be uh based on video pool so you can also find out about it through video pool very um, cool and then uh, as far as hearing your other music i mean uh, i know you have uh, some releases that have been uh, they're online uh, they're, there's physical copies obviously i have one of the tapes like i said uh, from the outset where can people find your music what's the best way to hear you um at this point aside from obviously upcoming events like this installation so um anything um uh, with Scott, um, that'll be on Bandcamp. Um, he had the passwords to that. I never got the passwords to that. Um, so that's going to live as a monument to the our origins. Um, everything new that we've been uh, up to, um, there's some on th the newest stuff. Um, we've been trying to post a bunch and really uh, get the, the, the new sounds out on Instagram. So interesting yeah, way to do it yeah. is that is that because you have the option to use the uh the visual side of things too on instagram i think so we don't have um so much of our work has been concerned with a live experience i think it's a better way to get that out there i don't i, I at least don't sit around and watch youtube videos of whole performances very often um i think it's a better way to interact with it, it gets the vibe across yeah let's curate it um you get to see the the image it's just a uh yeah i've thought about doing tiktok too i think that that would be really cool if we're trying to be um uh bring bring this uh aleatoric music or whatever yeah, into a, a colloquial way format. um that's you know use colloquial platforms use the use the platforms people use do it yeah go right? to where the kids are uh, that's where i am i'm <laughs> <laughs> right on. Alvin Hart, yeah.
Thank <laughs> you.